I'm Nancy Showalter, and you're listening to Spirituality for the Politically Incorrect podcast. Welcome, all radical paradigm shifters and creative change makers. You who dare to create a better life and a better world, tap into the power that resides within you and use that power for constructive change. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's special episode. Looking back over the last 18 months, we can all acknowledge that it's been an incredible time. There have been lives lost, and some of you have lost loved ones and friends, and fear seems to still have a grip on many people's lives. So today and next week, I'm going to play for you two interviews that my husband and I did on our previous radio show. Uh, The title of that show was called Prophets for the New Age, where we invite you to be a prophet and manifest the light of your divine self to the world. Now, the radio show is no longer active, but these two interviews are very special because they were with our dear friend and best-selling author, Danian Brinkley. Danian's had a total now, as of today, four near-death experiences, three of which he has shared in his books, Saved by the Light, Peace in the Light, and Secrets of the Light. Now, in these two episodes, Danian shares incredible details from his experiences in the heavenly realms with spiritual beings. His experiences are remarkable, and you won't want to miss this exciting episode, because what he learned in the heavenly realm coincides with much of what I share with you on this podcast. Now, I've edited out the announcements and commercials to the radio show and just get right in as as quickly as possible to the actual interview. And I'm playing these because I believe it can be a great comfort to many who have lost loved ones or anyone who may be experiencing fear or are afraid of death. So please feel free to share these interviews with family and friends as you feel so inclined. Let's get started. Life. We can either be bystanders or creators. Now is the time to awaken to your divine identity and the power of the I am within to create a joyous and fulfilled life. No matter what your circumstances are, there are answers to life's big questions. And there is a spiritual path that leads to soul liberation and ascension. Join us every third Sunday of the month at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for Prophets for the New Age with Carl and Nancy Showall on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. We are thrilled to have our guest today, Danian Brinkley, with us. Danian is the author of New York Times bestseller, Saved by the Light, plus two other books, At Peace in the Light, and Secrets of the Light, Lessons from Heaven, which he co-authored with his wife, Catherine Brinkley. His first book, Saved by the Light, spent 26 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list and was made into a television motion picture by the Fox Network. And it's been seen by tens of millions of people in over 30 countries since 1995. And to this day, it remains the highest rated made for television movie in Fox's history. 
Daniels appeared on Oprah, Larry King Live, The Insider, Unsolved Mysteries, Dateline, Coast to Coast with Gregory Nury, and that's just to name a few. So there's so much that he can share with us. We just would like to get right into his story. Yes, and what an exciting story. After being struck in the side of the head by a bolt of lightning in 1975 at the age of 25, Danyan found himself traveling down a tunnel and into a brilliant light. There he witnessed a panoramic review of his entire life on Earth. Afterwards, he was taken to a luminous crystal city. There within the Hall of Knowledge, 13 beings of light infused Danyan's consciousness with visions of the world to come and charged him with a spiritual mission of establishing healing centers on the Earth. Then against his will, 28 minutes later, Danyan was returned to his lifeless body. Since that fateful evening in 1975, Danyan has experienced two more near-death experiences, another strike by lightning and a mass, massive heart attack. Danyan, welcome, and thank you for being with us today to share your life, your tremendous life's experiences, uh, experiences of death, not just once, but three times. Well, basically, thank you, both of you, uh, Carl and uh, and uh, I set up Nancy for uh, for having me. You know, I think that they have to kill me every ten to twelve years just to keep my attention span, since I'm a little ADHD. <laughs> so you know, they always hang around at the at the at the angel bar doing cloud shots, and when they get just enough, uh, when El Moria are. Or um, a couple of the great masters get just enough cloud shots in them. They decide, so well, we have a good idea. Let's go kill Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, three times. But, you know, Daniel, you described traveling down a tunnel into a brilliant light and then witnessing this panoramic review of your entire life, the, you know, the, here on Earth since you've been here. And we know that many people fear death and what they might experience when they leave this earth due to the fact that you know, everyone's told about the judgment. So can you share with us your experience of this life review and how, in your perspective, it relates to the judgment at the end of our lives that so many people are apprehensive about? Sure, Nan, because watch. <clears throat> Most of the stuff that we hear from religious points of view never, ever happens. It just never happens. And I believe that the Panoramic Life Review or the Great Book of Judgment or the Hall of Records and all things is written, I believe that that's the, probably the single most important component that that affects our lives today. Because this is the only thing you can bring back from over there, back here, that has value. And this is what happens, and this will happen to everybody. So you know in the Bible when it says that uh, the, your life is reviewed and the great hall of judgment or the book of judgment, there is really no judgment. Once you leave this physical body and you get to the tunnel and you get to the end of the tunnel, you return to your spiritual self. Most people are, are a composition of what everybody else thinks about them. And they develop core personalities from childhood to adulthood based on how not to be what they think other people think about them. 
so that they can be liked, appreciated, or move forward in their job, relationships, or businesses. But it's never really them. We're great, powerful, and mighty spiritual beings with dignity, direction, and purpose. End of story. And you were chosen to come here, and you choose to come here. Most importantly, you were chosen because we come as teachers and we come as learners. And we, there are two separate actions. Every so often you're teaching something and learning something at the same time, but that does not happen. I mean, we call that amazement. But that usually doesn't happen. But once you get to the end of the tunnel, you become an observer, a true, deeply devout spiritual being observing the experiences of what this life was all really about. You will see your entire life pass before you in a 360-degree panorama. You have missed absolutely nothing. You know how many hairs was in the doctor's nose that pulled you from your mother. You know everybody in the room. And what is so amazing about it, uh, uh, when you think about it, Carl and Nancy, is how you limited your spiritual self in order to achieve the divine goal you were sent here to do. All right, and you will see your entire life pass before you in a 360-degree panorama. You will watch it from a second-person point of view as if you were your own best friend. You know, like, for, you know, like, whoa, Daniel, that was really cool. And wow, Daniel, how in the world can you be that stupid? I had plenty of those. How in the world could you be that stupid? And so you see it from a second-person point of view. And then you literally become every person that you ever encounter. And you feel the direct results of your interaction between you and that person. So, number one, no one ever gets away with anything. I mean, you're going to be every person. And my first near-death experience, because I was such a jackass, you know, I'm a, I was a southern redneck uh, tough guy, sports, United States Marine Corps, various government agencies, and mine was around uh, destruction. So when you have your, when you become every person that you ever encounter, and you feel the direct results of your interaction, this is life transforming. I mean, it was the most of all that cosmic stuff that's gone on in the course of my three experiences. Nothing has been more important to me than the three panoramic life reviews. And in the end of it, people always hunt for what's the meaning of life. You know, what's I, what am I doing here? It's easy. If God could not come today and God sent you, in the life you just reviewed, what difference did you and God make? And I can tell everybody who's listening and who do not know the two of you, when you have your life review, you will be very, very proud. Because knowing you guys from a long time and knowing of Carl since like 1970, I think late 72 or early 73, you guys, uh, you guys have a joyous panoramic life review waiting for you. Well, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, that that's amazing because you know so many people really do uh, have this fear of the judgment. So it's so refreshing to hear what you have to say uh, about that to, panoramic. Just to life. think of it like this, man. Here's who I am. Because if God couldn't come today and God sent me, 
in the life I just reviewed, what difference did me, could God and I make? I became a hospice volunteer. I live what I talk. I'm a hospice volunteer. I've been a hospice volunteer for 38 years. I have 32,000 hours at the bedside. I've been with 2,009 people going from this world to the next, and 341 taking their last breath. And the last person I was with taking their last breath was last Sunday morning at 2.43 a.m. That was what the death certificate said. So I have spent the last 38 years of my life at the bedside of helping people make those transitions, that place of fear where religions, institutions, and governments create whole mindsets. And then they drive those mindsets for control. And instead of out of love, they push it out of fear. Think of how crazy this is to a dead person. That I'm going to go, that I have to be afraid of something that is inevitable, passing from this world. And I'm constantly filled with being afraid of going home to the place I came from and to dwell in the divine presence of my identity of a spiritual being and being in the divine resonant presence of those who are like me, those people who are divinely focused on toward and making a difference. We all are, just like you said, we all are the teachers, all are the learners, and we're all are the doers. I think it's completely insane for someone to take something that is inevitable as a part of life and to live in fear of it. And basically the unknown or heaven or hell. I can look at it from a lot of different ways because I've been there three times. Struck by lightning, dead for 28 minutes, completely paralyzed for six days, partially paralyzed for seven months, two years to learn to walk and feed myself, never given a chance. Struck by lightning again, that'll teach me. Yeah, we'll fix him. And then open heart surgery and brain surgery. All this in 22 years. Never, ever given it a chance to survive. Never. The brain surgery, they gave me a 10% chance of surviving. I came through the surgery. I spent 41 hours in the recovery room. They couldn't wake me up. When they woke me up, I had a massive grand mal seizure, went into cardiac arrest, and was put on life support in the neurocardiac ward because usually after those kinds of brain surgeries, when you have a massive grand mal seizure, the next thing that happens normally is a heart attack or a heavy stroke, and most people don't survive. <clears throat> but for some strange reason, because I'm so entertaining, they keep sending me back. And I, I'm now in the middle of the, now comes the centers. The centers were, I, I realized it would be 40 years. It was starting in, I had to face from 1975 to 2014 because it was their timetable, not my timetable. And as it comes about, I wait for the gamma shift, which is sometime in September. And once that, then I will put these, 
I will put these centers. I have two now, three now, and I'm innovating them. And I will put them in position for people, mostly for people who are facing transition and who are so guilt-ridden or frightened because uh, if you have a glimpse of what's next, then you can deal with what the president is, especially in a lot of pain, and then trying to find uh, closure with loved ones. A lot of times when you've spent 38 years watching the process and being there, you see a lot of dynamics that you don't normally put into play until that happens. So I, I know what to anticipate based on watching certain emotional and psychological events that occur when a person faces that someone's going, and then how they deal with, with bereavement and grief. This, is, this helps so many people when it comes to real life because what, what you share gives an, gives an answer to this deep fear that people have. And by really meeting somebody like yourself who can laugh and work with it, uh, make it a, a normal part of living, it becomes a very, very helpful thing in terms of one's faith one's belief, et cetera. I and love empowering, that. and also this, Carl, empowering. You know, think everybody yeah, laughs because exactly. uh, when something goes wrong, I say, well, what are they going to do, kill me? Well, big deal. Right. Who does that scare? And they said, well, you know, you, you, you have like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde personality, you know, because you know me. You know, I don't really care. You know, nobody worries me. And people think, they say, well, I don't think you had a near-death experience. Well, I don't care what you think. I have never had a problem with people not believing in near-death experiences. You know, I've never, they, people, when they, everybody was going through in the early years, well, then, you know, we don't believe it. It's oxygen, brain deprivation, temporal lobe seizures, frontal lobe seizures, apoplectic shock. I said, well, I honestly and sincerely believe that a lot of things that people are calling near-death experiences are those those physiological reactions. But for me, you don't go and see the future. And you don't go and travel in those dimensions and watch it and for for years afterwards uh, find myself in places and levels of consciousness that where you cross and come into into encounter great spiritual beings and think that I care what some stupid doctor thinks. You know, and so I've always been not in any way afraid of facing the fact that this is what happens. And I'm telling the truth. You know, my point is there is no, I'm not trying to deceive anybody. If I went to hell, I'd be telling people I went to hell. And if any, and I always tell people, listen, if I didn't go to hell, there's a very slim chance that you're ever going. <laughs> if anybody should be going to hell, I can guarantee, I can guarantee it should have been me. <laughs> you know, Daniel, I'd like to ask uh, about Crystal City, your experiences with the 13 beings of light in the Hall of Knowledge. Can you describe for us the Crystal City and the beings of light and how you interacted with them? Well, call it like this. Once I finished the panoramic life review, I had a being. You know, this, everybody says they met Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, Allah, Krishna. Everybody has a name for this being. 
Okay, well, the first time I was under that kind of impression, I, I didn't have a big relationship with, the, with religion because I thought religion was nonsense. I mean, I think spiritualism is the pathway, but I didn't know, you know, this was a being that was pleasant, safe, glorious. And this being traveled with me once the panoramic life review was over, and I think that that being appears because people need safety and security because they don't know what to expect, you know. But for me, when you are on fire, like being filled with battery acid and you are burning and you cannot see and you cannot move, and then all of a sudden you lift out of your body and there is no pain and I could see. I wore welder's glasses for two years. I couldn't go outside. I couldn't take bright light because the ball of fire burnt my eyes. When all of a sudden there is no pain, you know, and you're moving down this tunnel and you're watching the world that you've been in for 25 years disappear, and you come into this place, a lot of times people were confused. I didn't care where I was. Any place was better than where I left. And this being, I now know who this being is. After two more trips, the being of light that everybody meets at the end of the tunnel is themselves. You is is who meets you. Because as I would study this and think about it, you've only projected yourself into what you think is this physical reality. Because it's necessary to become a teacher, a master. You know, when people say, when you look at it, what people have to think about is this. If you were in heaven and God came up to you and you were, I always tell this joke, you know, you come you come out of the angel bar, you got a couple of cloud shots in you, so you're floating at a slight angle. And God comes up and puts their arm around you and says, hey, Carl. I have a question. Say, so, yeah, what is it, God? How would you like to be me for a couple of days? Wow, that would be great, God. That would be exciting. I saw the movie God Almighty. He said, well, what would you do? Well, I would be strong and confident, and I would embrace people and give them a sense of security and the, that their life is eternal and they evolve, and I would be helpful and, and be so encouraging and try to create peace among all the people by finding common goals and common identity. Wow. And God says, were you sure you'd like to be me for a couple of days? Absolutely, God. Well, the next thing that happens is you are born. <laughs> <laughs> we have a break coming up here in about a minute. But please continue. And... and when you're born, you get an opportunity to be everything today that you think God is in this environment, in this level of consciousness. But no one's ever left heaven. Amazing. So... It is time to go to break, but when we return, we will continue with Daniel Brinkley and Secrets of the Light, and we will continue with this particular story. And our guest today is Daniel Brinkley, who's had all of us on the edge of our seats listening to his amazing experiences on the other side during his three near-death experiences. So, Daniel, we were talking before we went to break 
So can you continue uh, your discussion there because, uh, you know, we're talking about the crystal light, the, I mean, the uh, crystal city and the 13 beings of light, the hall of knowledge, the review. Um, it's very exciting. So if you could go ahead and continue with that, please. And we don't all come from the same place. When I saw the crystal cities, there were many of these crystal cities. You know, like in the Bible, it says, in my father's house, there are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. Well, that's all true. We don't all come from the same place. We come with different skill sets and different understandings and different interpretations, many of the same thing, because it creates, it creates, it it creates creativity. So when I was with this being who really turned out to be me, and I was entering the Crystal City, the first thing that I did when I entered, and why I call it a Crystal City, it looked like a building built of plexiglass with this energetic field pulsating in the center of each one of these blocks. And so it radiated. It was like a living place. And the first thing when I came through the city, I realized that the being was no longer with me, that had traveled from the beginning to this crystal city. I now understood that the being had merged with me because my true self had returned and identified itself. I was no longer Daniel, and I was back being who I was, and it was no longer necessary to have some type of psychological separate identity from my spiritual self. And what happens in the panoramic life of you, let me finish this part, Colin, Izzy. You watch it from a second-person point of view. You're, you're an observer. You don't judge yourself. You see what it was about and why things happened and what you could have done better and what lessons that were being created as options for you to learn and or teach. And that's all that mattered about it. And do you feel blame and guilt and sorrow? You do, but not in the way that we normally in our so-called sinful psychological way review it. Each thing is necessary to create options and opportunities. When I got to the Crystal Cities, as you enter, you enter through this this violet flame. It was always a big deal with me that this this color, because everything was silvery blue, and it was like translucent. But this violet flame flowed in the entranceway into the Crystal City. So I came in this place, and I'm I'm looking around. I'm not paying a lot of attention to my physical self. There was too much really cool things going on for me to think about that. And I looked to my right, and these 12 beings appeared. And how would you describe them? Greatness, integrity, honor, magnificence. And it's not a, a visual, it's a sense and to be in the presence of the divine the divine forces and each work is different. And then there was a thirteen being that seemed to be we didn't seem to be, was slightly elevated on the far right hand side. And this being tended to be in control. Because what would happen was as each of these beings would be designated <clears throat> the thirteenth being would designate it wasn't one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It was the third being was first and it would begin to radiate and it would radiate out multiple colors like a rainbow till that was the only being that I saw. 
and it would send this box. And it's like now you can say a laptop, but in 1975, I didn't know what a laptop was. And it was like a laptop, and it would come and it would open, and I would see scenes and visions. I didn't ever really know it was the future, because I, I, w- I was not really well-versed in near-death experiences at the time. But I would become a part of events. I could smell, I could see, I could taste. And it was obvious about that I was in an event. I wrote all those events down in 1976. I wrote them in Saved by the Light. And uh, if people look at Saved by the Light, Chapter 5, I didn't miss very many. I mean, timing, I might have missed a year or two years when some, because nothing was carved in stone. But people have to really realize, right now, we're in a transition period. I mean, we're in a period of flux and transition. The world that we grew up in is going to disappear. And the new world is being born, just like you said, the the, the birth of a new age. The Maya say 2012 was the end and then there would be a 400 day grace period um the chinese calendar the hebrew calendar everything says that this age this this jubilee period that's coming in the end of september these all these things are heralding the coming of an age and in order for the new to live the old must pass away and so many of these visions were like for me a godstone as these things occurred, like Chernobyl, the collapse of the Soviet Union, America going bankrupt, um, the rise of of the Vatican in the Middle East, and um, the the whole nature of how religion will view itself, all this stuff, and and literally the World War, World Peace, and why I love your show and I love what you guys do, because. It only takes a few of us to hold a, uh, keep the light lit and open that door, not in fear, but in love. Because I don't have really any fear about it. You know, I'm going to be doing what I'm doing if the place blows up. It doesn't matter to me. I don't have any, any um, I don't live or function in remorse. And once I became, I never knew until I met Dr. Moody what these visions were about, and I never knew that they were the future until four years later when Raymond called me, and because a big event, the collapse of the Soviet Union was a big deal to him, uh, Chernobyl was a big deal to him, 86 and 89. And these things were moving to Raymond, you know, and he he couldn't get over how all of a sudden he had a couple other people who had seen future events. But I didn't buy into it, you know. It was just, I was into changing my life from being the worst but most despicable human being into a caring, loving person because I know I'm going to be everybody I ever encounter. And I'm going to feel the direct results of my interaction between me and everybody else. And that became the most important in part to me because I can bring that back. You know, all that stuff that they, you know, I call that Nostradanian, you know, all the facts because people get caught up in prophecies and people get amazed by the visions. And I have been so right over 40 years about the future possibilities of events 
and people get really caught up in that, but I don't, you know, I know too much about myself to be impressed, and so I stick to the basic things. If I'm going to be every person I encounter, I think about it, and when I encounter people, it's never what I do, but why I'm doing it. We have to pay attention to our intention. What is our motive? It's not your action. It's why that action. And once that we begin to look at our lives as that in that divine power and presence, we all want to be and say we're part of the divine, well, we truly are, then what are we supposed to be doing? We're looking how to be gracious and loving and caring and kind. We're looking how to be supportive and helpful, like the joke I was talking earlier today about Carl. Because once you start doing that, you raise your consciousness. You become more aware of what goes on around you. You develop a nature that's empathic. You begin to sense and feel things about people so that you can be better helpful. I credit that empathic ability, that so-called psychic ability that I'm a legend for, because it was a tool necessary so I could be at the bedside and help people find closure, help families find closure, and I became aware of knowledge and things about those people in their life that would appear to be amazing, but not amazing to me because it became a necessary tool for help me to find resolution and closure and help those families deal with what they think is a loss. But, you know, everybody gets to see everybody again. Everybody comes to celebrate when you come home. All your pets, you know, your birds, your dogs, your cats, anything you ever love, everybody celebrates you coming back. And so knowing all of that, then these skill sets that we all hope or wish we could have, we're all capable of having, like First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 12, the gifts of the Spirit. Well, I can match those. I can see those things. You know, and I speak in a southern accent, so if I could speak in the language of angels, then you know they got to be hillbilly angels. <laughs> oh, it's time for another break, Daniel. And when we return, more on Secrets of the Light with Daniel Brinkley. And we're here with Daniel Brinkley, author of the bestseller Saved by the Light and At Peace in the Light and Secrets of the Light, Lessons from Heaven. So, Daniel. You know, when I read your chapter in the book, Secrets of the Light, I felt it was one of the most beautiful descriptions of love that I'd ever read, when you read The Power in Love. You speak of love as a power and the divine essence finding expression within us. And, um, in fact, I could even read a few words for our listeners where you said, Please believe me. Love molds and holds the very universe together. It keeps the planet suspended in place, and it causes our world to spin on its axis. In the crystal, in the city of crystal, I witness love as a living, thriving, pulsating, radiant, multicolored essence. Could you expand on that, how you viewed love from the other side? But you look at this also. Now, CERN, the, uh, the electron collider that's in Switzerland, in uh, what's called the uh, the uh, Higgs boson particle experiment, they have identified that there is a element, a field that holds us all together. They call it dark matter because space is dark. 
I always thought that was a funny name for God, dark matter. But nonetheless, that love that permeates that I'm describing has a scientific name and has been scientifically verified, and that it, it dwells and flows through all of us. But over there, it's a reality. It's not something that you have to think about or hope for or maybe somebody loves me or maybe they don't or maybe I need to do better or maybe I don't or maybe I hope they'll be nice to me or maybe I, you know, all that stuff. You dwell in it. The thing that people get so caught up in that sinning business is this. They they, they not only... They not only are a part of it, they feel that it is a part of them. Over there, you feel the divine presence, and it's an unconditional place. It's a dwelling place of joy. You know, Kat and I write about uh, what we call the fourfold path in the secrets of the light. And they are the things that if you lock into them and you realize that each one of those fourfold things, everything is about love. And we break love down into three things. Um, agape, that's a divine love, like a mother holding a child or a father pitching the baseball to their son or that kind of thing. Now, when you haven't seen someone for a long time and you see them and you want to hug them and squeeze them. And then there is, then, then there is eros, that part that moves us into a place of a sensual, creative nature of what we call love and it becomes marriage and build great relationships. And then philae, friendships, people that are your friends, that feeling that you have because you can tell them your secrets and they're going to tell you how stupid you are, they're going to tell you how smart you are, and it doesn't have any trigger mechanisms in it. Everything's about love. Second, this is big, what you believe about your love, what we do based on the, and I don't keep like to jump religion because some of that stuff is true, but most of it's just nonsense. But to what you believe about your love, people are always giving their love, pouring their hearts out, and waiting for somebody to give it back before they ever realize it had a value. And we all get hurt. We all get our feelings hurt because no one gives it back equal to the reason why we give it. And a lot of times we get taken advantage of. Hey, everybody, you are a divine spiritual being. And your love is the power of the essence of the divine glory that flows through all patterns in the universe, moving from its place, its divine flow, or its subatomic nature through you into the world to perpetuate change and evolution. And without recognizing that before you give it, you have no measure. You have no way to look at it and decide what to do. Sometimes you want to give more, and it may not be the happiest thing because you get a little abused in the course of it, but you see that you're changing. And then sometimes you just need to walk away. 
and without measuring the value of that love before you give it and wait for someone else to give it back before you determine it has created this whole thing born in sin and all that kind of nonsense. This is the craziest stuff I ever heard in my life. And to be born in sin because of what some people were doing in the desert six or seven thousand years ago. Do you know how crazy that sounds to a dead person? It's the craziest stuff I ever heard in my life. I am responsible for what I do. And I am going to see my life review, and I'm going to see what it was. I never saw Adam or Eve in any of my three near-death experiences. I never saw me being guilty for any of that, but I saw plenty of stuff that I was responsible for. And what happens once you believe in the value of your love? You look at the choices that you make. And it's your love that affects your choices. And it's your rejection of your love that usually is the driver in the choices that you make. And then prayer. And prayer is an overused word. But by a person developing a certain time in a certain place, and I do it four times a day, I take time to open Two of them I open up. Well, three of them I open up for the divine message. You know, let me be an instrument of thy will and let it flow toward me, through me, and give me insight to improve. And then I shut up and listen. And then and then uh, one of those, I pray for change. You know, um, it's always about the proper will to be done, but sometimes I just care about people finding peace and res- resolution in their life, especially people that are struggling because of their they have built their whole life off of systems that are fail them. Look at where we live. Do you trust your religion? Do you trust your institution? Do you trust your banker? You think he's your friend? You know, do you trust anybody? You think you trust Johnsons and Johnsons when they're burning the eyes out of rabbits so your uh, shampoo is better? I mean, you look at what we go through. Look at what we're doing. And do you trust that? No way. So I usually open up in prayer and focus for that kind of stuff. But if you look at the fourfold path and you study those four sections, then you begin to harmonize with a sense of reality, not a sense of hope. Whenever I hear the word hope, Carl and Nancy, I mean, I know where the word hope came from. It's Greek. And it was the last curse that was let loose from Pandora's box. And when you think about hope as a curse, because it's not based on anything. It's not about faith. You know, and when they translated above all things about in faith, hope, and love, I don't believe in the original Hebrew translations, even in Aramaic. I can never find that word. And I know Aramaic is a Greek slang, especially in the in the, uh, the section of Nazareth, which is almost Lebanon. But hope, I'm not a big hoper. I have faith in things, and my prayers are based on the ability to, for me to influence change. And that's for everybody that's listening on this wondrous Sunday afternoon. I mean, we have a new book called Ten Things to Know Before You Go. And, it's, you know, it's my typical self, me making fun of everything. Yeah, well, you know, Daniel, this has been so awesome. I mean, we are at the end of the show. Unbelievable. I hope you will come back again and love to. continue because there's so much. And 
thank you today. And yeah, also, you give readings, don't you? Can you tell? Oh, yeah. People can just go to Danion.com and see all the crazy stuff I'm up to. And if I can help people, I can listen to their voice and I can help. But listen, keep up the good work. And for everybody that's listening today, please tell two more people to listen to this show next week. Well, thank you, Daniel. Thank you, everybody. It's been our joy to bring you this show today. We'll be back next month on Sunday, September 20th at 6 p.m. Stay tuned to our final blessing and meditation. Love you guys. Blessing of light be upon you. Light on the outside, light on the inside. With God's sunlight shining on you, may your heart glow with warmth like a turf fire that welcomes friends and strangers alike. May the light of the Lord shine from your eyes like a candle in the window, welcoming the weary traveler. May the blessing of God's soft rain be on you, falling gently on your head, refreshing your soul with the sweetness of little flowers newly blooming. May the strength of the winds of heaven bless you, carrying the rain to wash your spirit clean, sparkling after in the sunlight. May the blessing of God's earth be on you, and as you walk the roads, May you always have a kind word for those you meet.
Thank you again for joining us today at Profits for the New Age, broadcast every third Sunday of the month at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. For more information on Profits for the New Age and Spiritual Awareness Fellowship, visit our website at spiritualawarenessfellowship.org. Thank you for being with me today, and if you enjoyed this episode, Please subscribe, download, and comment. I'd love to hear from you, and your support is much appreciated. And don't forget, go to nancyshowalter.com to get your free electronic copy of my book, It's Okay to Be Rich, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Increased Wealth and Personal Mastery, endorsed by T. Harv Ecker. And my free mini course, How to Speak Your Success, The Shocking Truth of How Your Words Impact Achieving Your Goals. I'll see you next week.